Welcome to this month's special programming series, Focus on Cancer, on ReachMD XM157. Can a cup of fresh-squeezed grapefruit juice help in the war on cancer? Welcome to a special segment on cancer. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Ezra Cohn, an assistant professor in the Department of Medicine, Section of Hematology Oncology, and the Associate Director of the Head and Neck Cancer Program at the University of Chicago. Dr. Cohn, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, let's talk today about whether or not grapefruit juice really can help in treating different cancers and or boosting different chemotherapeutic agents. Specifically, I know you're interested in rapamycin. That's right. Tell me a little bit about rapamycin, what it is and what it's usually used for. Sure. Rapamycin was actually discovered a few decades ago, back in 1975. It derives its name from the island it was discovered on, uh, Easter Island or otherwise known as Rapa Nui. So that's how the name rapamycin came along. And it was actually initially developed or thought to be an antibiotic. It has similar structure to some currently existing antibiotics. It was soon realized that the drug itself impairs the growth of some immune cells, specifically lymphocytes, and that it would probably make a much better immunosuppressive. And in fact, it was developed as an immunosuppressive and eventually approved for that. So rapamycin is a commercially available drug that's used to prophylax against organ rejection. So that's where rapamycin stands today. It was also realized early on that it had anti-neoplastic effects and that it might be effective as a cancer drug. And early on in the development of the drug, it was studied, and these are now publications going back to the early 80s, it was studied in different cancer models, and sure enough, it was effective. But because of the interest in immunosuppression, and perhaps because of the immunosuppression, it wasn't pursued as an oncology drug. Well, lo and behold, it became apparent that the target of rapamycin that happens to be called mammalian target of rapamycin, so the target is actually named after the drug, is very relevant to different cancer types. It's along a pathway that is consistently activated in many, many cancers, lymphomas, sarcomas, breast cancer, lung cancer, kidney cancer. The list actually goes on and on. So with that in mind, there was renewed interest in mTOR, and renewed interest in rapamycin. And a few companies have made analogs of the drug called rapalogs or rapamycin analogs. And in fact, one of those, temsirolimus, which is a prodrug of rapamycin, it's, it's actually converted in our bodies to rapamycin, that's the active compound, is now approved for the treatment of kidney cancer. Is there a problem with rapamycin in terms of its absorption? Do you have to give a lot of it or are there certain ways you have to give it? That is one of the issues that we have to deal with with rapamycin. In patients who are organ transplant recipients, the rapamycin is dosed at a relatively low dose, usually the average dose is about 4 milligrams and it's dosed daily. Now the bioavailability of, of the drug is only about 14%. So out of that 4 milligrams, only 14% actually gets absorbed right. and is active. So why not just give more? Well, we can do that, and we are doing that. There are a couple of cancer trials, one that we're conducting and one that was conducted by uh, Johns Hopkins that did exactly that, and that can be done successfully. You run into one problem when you do that, and that's probably related to the fact that so much of the drug is not absorbed, and that problem is diarrhea. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine that as you give more and sure. more stays in the gut, some patients develop fairly bothersome diarrhea when this is administered. So let's bring in the light bulb idea. What went off in your head to boost rapamycin levels? Well, it was really two things. First of all, 
we were actually paying for the rapamycin in our clinical trials. And although uh, rapamycin is relatively less expensive than the rapamycin analogs, to be quite frank, it was the biggest line item on our budget in these grants. Rapamycin itself was getting to be costly and, of course, would be costly to patients if we asked them to pay for it. And then the second thing is we actually know quite a bit about the metabolism of rapamycin. We know that it goes through extensive intestinal metabolism and then extensive hepatic metabolism. And we knew the enzymes responsible for that as well. It must be the old P450. It is. It is the CYP3A system or the P450 system. And we were also very aware that investigators at other centers, the University of Western Ontario and and other centers, discovered, again, a couple of decades ago that grapefruit juice can have a profound effect on the metabolism of drugs that undergo intestinal CYP3A or P450 metabolism. And so we thought, well, why not combine rapamycin with grapefruit juice in an effort to reduce the costs and increase the bioavailability of the drug and reduce the diarrhea side effect that we were definitely seeing with rapamycin alone. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. My guest today is Dr. Ezra Cohn, and we're talking about how grapefruit juice can increase the bioavailability of the cancer drug rapamycin. So Dr. Cohn, once you realize that grapefruit juice will boost rapamycin levels, how do you find the right level? How much grapefruit juice do you give and how wide-ranged are the responses in patients? How do you normalize it? So then we embarked on a study of grapefruit juice and let me tell you, I've learned more about grapefruit juice than I ever mm-hmm. wanted to know and sure. it's really a science unto itself. There are substances, of course, in the grapefruit juice that have been felt to be responsible for this effect. Uh, they're called uh, furanocoumarins, and there are several furanocoumarins, and different ones have different effects. I have to confess, we were naive when we entered this, and what we did initially was we used uh, store-bought grapefruit juice off the shelf. There was a local supermarket chain that was gracious enough to supply it for us, and that's how we started. What we realized right away was we weren't getting a very profound effect. You can't go with the concentrate, Dr. Cohn. <laughs> you can't go with the off-the-shelf stuff, it, it seems. And not only that, it, we didn't really have a lot of control over the product that we were getting. Coincidentally, and perhaps serendipitously, the Florida Department of Citrus actually heard about our trial, and they contacted us, and they said, first of all, why don't we test the grapefruit product that you're using mm-hmm. and see if it's actually active? And if it's not active, would you be interested in having us supply an active compound? And of course, we said, sure, that'd be great. And indeed, the product that we were using had very, very low levels of the furanocoumarins, almost negligible, explaining why we weren't getting much of an effect. And the Florida Department of Citrus has been incredibly instrumental in getting us a product that is quite effective. And not only that, they're prospectively testing it to make sure that, in fact, it it has the active ingredient. Right, and that the dose is consistent, I would imagine. And that there's now consistency exactly in what we're giving patients. So can they just distill out the furanocoumarins and just put that in a pill form and get rid of the juice? Well, there are people who are interested in doing exactly that, and there are commercial entities that are doing exactly what you just described. And with the thought that an even more controlled capsule can provide, first of all, an easy administration and increase the bioavailability. So that people are are doing. So take us into the cancer clinic. Have you used it? And what kind of outcomes have you seen? We've definitely used it. We're now into 
the third cohort of patients. So this is a classic phase one trial where we escalate the dose of the rapamycin in successive cohorts of patients with cancer. We're now into the third cohort. With this new product, we're seeing about a 400% increase or fourfold increase Mm -hmm. in rapamycin levels. So as you can imagine, we're able to use much, much lower doses of the rapamycin. We have not encountered the diarrhea that we encountered with similar levels of rapamycin alone. So that part of the hypothesis looks like is true. So far, the agent appears to be very well tolerated with the grapefruit juice. I would worry that these patients are on numerous other medicines that would also be affected by the grapefruit juice. And that was, of course, our concern as well. And you're quite right. There is a list of medications. And my guess is if most people read their prescriptions thoroughly, they may find one or two that where they're asked not to take it with grapefruit juice. That is a real issue. For most drugs, to be honest, the interaction is fairly minor. We're talking about a 10%, 20%, 50% interaction, which because of the therapeutic window of most agents that people take orally is negligible. Although there are some drugs where the interaction can be significant and toxic. To address that in the clinical trial, we've taken the agents where there is a potential danger and we've essentially excluded those drugs. So if a patient is on one of those drugs, they have to come off it in order to participate. And if they can't come off it, then they simply cannot participate. All right. So we know that you can increase levels fourfold or 400%. Does that translate into increased living or decreased mortality? Well, that's the hope. We don't know that yet. We know that it has a pharmacokinetic effect that will almost certainly translate into a lower cost down the road to patients. And the next series of trials really need to answer that question. Is it effective? Is it as effective as the other rapamycin analogs? Can we use it in different cancers to extend life and to improve quality of life? All right. So we don't know that answer yet. Let's talk a little bit more about what you've learned about grapefruit juice that you never knew. Well, first of all, we learned a lot about the active ingredients. It's actually itself is is a very interesting story. It was discovered, as you might know, while testing a calcium channel blocker back in... Uh, uh, right, Plendil. That's correct. And the trial was designed to test the interaction between that and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And in order to mask the taste of the alcohol, the investigators used grapefruit juice. Right, right. Uh, lo and behold, it was the grapefruit juice alone cohort that had a significant interaction. That story itself is interesting as it applies to my interest as a medical oncologist to cancer therapy. This probably goes beyond just rapamycin. I'm thinking you're treating a lot of patients. Obviously, they're terminal. They're on lots of pain medications. Could you potentially decrease the amount of narcotics you have to give them by giving them grapefruit juice? Narcotics probably don't undergo extensive metabolism through intestinal CYP3A, at least most narcotics. So that may not be the application where grapefruit juice is most instrumental. However, we're entering a a different era now of oncology treatment. And, And what I mean by that is more and more we're hearing about these targeted drugs, these novel agents. Many of them, first of all, are oral. Many of them are also quite costly. For instance, imatinib or Gleevec, which is used in uh, CML and a rare type of sarcoma, it can cost a few thousand dollars per month. Another, Temsirolimus, the the drug that is the rapamycin analog, costs about $5,000 per month. And these are drugs that work without a doubt 
and are usually given for several months, and in the case of imatinib, even several years, because they work so well. And what I mean by the new era is that more of them are oral and they're expensive. And I think that's where grapefruit juice is going to have its most dramatic effect, at least when it comes to oncology, because we're going to be able to reduce the cost of these drugs to the system at Mm. large. Well, Dr. Ezra Cohn, thank you very much for coming on the show and enlightening us on the effects of grapefruit juice and chemotherapy. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to a special segment on cancer medicine. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. And if you register with the promo code RADIO, you'll receive six months free of streaming radio for your home or office over your computer. Thanks for listening. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals, as we feature a special series, Focus on Cancer.